So, uh, hey guys, welcome to uh, Rock Bottom to Recovery. Um, this is just another episode. Our guest today is uh, Pat Cronin. Um, Pat, what's the uh, what's uh, um, Northeast Addiction Treatment Centers? What what do you do there? You're the are you the out, outreach? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I'm the director of community director. outreach. Director, yeah. director of community community outreach and, and relationship. Management. Okay, so um, so Pat's here. We're going to talk about the um, the treatment center. We're going to talk about. Um, well, you know what? I, I, let's talk about you, Pat. Okay. Let's let's jump right into you. Um, you know, how old were you when you first say? Like I, I, I so we've had few people in here. Um, some people. I always like to point this out first because when we talk about addiction, we automatically assume opiates and all those things. But um, addiction begins long before that. Um, cigarettes, marijuana, alcohol. I know there's always people like, oh, it's not a gateway. No. Eh. For a lot of people, it is. Um, and when did you start? How old were you? So I would say that in regards to age, I was probably later than most of the stories that you hear. Yeah. But it did still start with marijuana and alcohol. Um, I think that my first real um, like alcohol experience was like my senior year in high school. Okay. And, and really didn't really experiment like into like serious drinking and smoking weed until I was going into like my um, freshman year in college. Really? Why so late? Where were you? <laughs> I know. And I went to college too. So I went to a uh, I went to a private. I went to a Catholic high school private. Not the, not like that doesn't go on there. Yeah, no. Uh, but I just was brought up with like serious strict parents. Serious strict parents, and um, my brother. So I have a brother that's four years older than me, mm-hmm. and he he did his fair share of drinking at yeah. the age that typically happens. And I think that there was, there was a, like my parents weren't okay with that. So there was definitely some arguments that I saw at a younger age. And I yeah. was like, I don't know if I want to go through that. Yeah, so yeah, I had, okay. I had, and, and my parents uh, were born in Ireland, so they have that accent yep. that can sound very intimidating. Yes, so, they're very, very, um, if you're not familiar, Irish parents can, can be very intimidating. Yes. My grandmother, who probably, I don't, you know, she probably came up to my chest. You just made me think of this. So we're, yeah, yeah. we're going to jump back into this story. She yeah. was a tiny little Irish woman. Mm. And I remember we were messing around with my uncle in the living room. And we were yelling to the kitchen, Grandma, Uncle Kevin's hurting us. And she was yelling, leave those kids alone. And um, he kept doing it. And finally, she come barreling into the room with a broom. <laughs> and and yeah. he was massive to her. And he, she was whacking him with the broom and going, what did I tell you about uh, messing with them kids? And we're like, get them, Grandma. <laughs> and she was a tiny little woman, but she was intimidating. It didn't matter. So I totally yeah. identify when you talk about the parents. And also, like, that, it kind of makes sense now. Like, uh, your older brother, you saw things that were going on in the house with yeah. his drinking. And so that, uh, that yeah. makes sense. So. I mean, yeah. I'm more, I think I'm more scared of my mother than I am my father, <laughs> to be honest with you. So I, I saw her. You know that, and um, I was like, yeah. So I, I really, for a period of like my high school, most of my high school days was, you know, chasing, playing. I was played sports my yep. whole life, and you know, trying to do well in school, and you know, dating girls and all that kind of yep. stuff. So um, normal and routine. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, when it came to the point that I started seeing other people drinking and doing yeah. drugs, and I wasn't that you know, fear of what people are going to think and this and that. And, you know, I held off for as long as I could. Yeah. You know? So did you say so you, you, you kind of felt, did you, would, you, would it be peer pressure? Did you feel peer pressure or yeah, did so, you just feel like you were missing out on fun so, or something? You know what? When I, when I, when I 
share my story, I always say I felt peer pressure, but yeah. it wasn't from them. I did it to myself. You brought the peer pressure on yourself. Yeah, no one ever, you know, even like I, I, I you know, there's always there was always clicks in high school and athletes and, and this and that, but th- I never got that feeling from any type of click that like I right. needed to do this. I know today's society is way different than when yeah. I grew up. Like kids these days, you know, get bullied and they get pressured into stuff. I did that. That was the insecurities uh, that I felt myself. Do you think that um, I, I that that makes sense to me? Like if I think back, I think a lot of the peer pressure. I you know, I mean. I put on myself. Right. Um, I, I think that's um, I think that's pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, then part of it probably was like a justification in my head that I was going to use to like finally experiment. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't handle this crazy pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that come yeah, about? What, what, what were you doing? Yeah. So um, it was. Uh, I think it was like my. I think my senior prom. To be honest with you, was yeah. like really the first time like I experimented like with drinking to the point that I was like. I was done. Yeah. Like, I was like, it was like a blackout. I don't really remember oh, much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good old blackout. And, yeah. And so I, you don't remember your prom? I don't. Yeah. I don't. Does your date? Um, <laughs> I don't even, I'm trying to think. I don't even know if I want to say this because they're going to eventually see this. I'm trying to think. Yeah. So be my, very, very careful. Oh once <laughs> once it's out there, Pat, we can't get that I back. I know who my senior prom date <laughs> so, was. Uh, I do remember who it was. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, maybe we won't go yeah. there, but I mean, so you don't remember the prom? Uh, I remember the prom. I didn't drink till after. So the prom part was fine, and then after was a little bit of a, you know, I just. Which school did you go to? Severian. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that was it. That yeah. kind of kicked things off. Yeah, but drugs, you know, I saw people <clears throat> smoking weed at, at school, and like, at, that. It's so, it's it's so crazy how like life changes that like when I saw weed, when I was like a senior in high school, yeah, that was like the worst drug in the world. Like, was it really? In my, like we never, I never even knew about like cocaine and heroin. Yeah, oxycotons weren't even around. Right. And I grew up in a house that was like, you know, nothing was okay. Yeah. Like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Did your parents drink? Uh, which is weird because they're yeah. Irish. I know yeah. people just assume they don't. They no, don't. But my father will have a beer here or there. But yeah. I wish my mother drank. My not. my parents didn't drink. My father didn't drink. I I remember when I was really little. What I remember uh, was we were in uh, an apartment in Dorchester, um, Ellett Street, which is now the Dot House. Um, it, the street used to run right up to uh, is it Ronan Park? I think at the top. Um, I remember my father coming in with the brown paper bag under his arm. My grandfather going get out, and then kicked him out of the house, and then my you know it was like. But where'd dad go? Yeah, yeah. And my aunt was like, oh, he brought in um, alcohol and he can't drink in this house. Yeah. That's the only time that I remember um, anything along those lines. Other than that, then he got himself yeah. sober. So I, he, they never drank either. In fact. Yeah, I didn't see that at all. Yeah. Even when I was 21, and my brother, both of us, when we were 21, we weren't allowed to drink alcohol in the house. It didn't matter. Right. So when I saw like seniors in high school smoking weed, I was just like, oh, those are like the bad ones. Yeah. That was like my thought process. And then did you obviously start? Uh, yeah. I eventually, you know, and, and it was like, my, I think I think I was on, um, I think it might have been spring break. Yeah. Is when I kind of was like, yeah, let me just try this. Yeah. You know, and, then and? Sp- spring, <laughs> spring break was a was a blur. Yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> spring break was a blur to say the least. It was like that. It was like just like it was like I went from this person that really didn't experiment with anything yeah. to all of a sudden just 
kind of like exploding. Yeah, so you, know? you you pretty much didn't even just crack the door. You booted it wide open and Yeah. Spring break my senior year in high school wasn't as bad as my freshman year. So it was a year later, but then I went on spring break again my freshman year in college. Yeah. And at that point I started experimenting with other drugs. Yeah. Like really quick. I always tell when I share my story wherever meetings or anything like that, um it's like I went from doing nothing yep. to almost trying everything in like one year. Wow. And so, wait, so obviously alcohol, marijuana was next. So it was alcohol, marijuana, then cocaine, then ecstasy. Mm -hmm. Ecstasy played a huge role in like, I mean, I, I grew up in the era of when that was like huge yeah. when I was in college. Um, and, and a lot of ecstasy has different drugs in it. So, and then after ecstasy, it was, um, it was the oxys. Yeah, how'd you get uh, how'd you get uh, introduced to the oxys? Just kind of a pro that progression. What well, was the progression? It was like whatever, what, 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 what's the next drug? Yeah, what's the next drug? And unfortunately, you know, when I was in school, I was graduating. Um, so the first time I tried an oxy was actually at my graduation party. Wow. Of my um. That was college, college or yeah. yeah. And um, it wasn't how I got an OC. wasn't just from. Uh, it wasn't like I stole a prescription like out of someone's cabinet. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't prescribed to it. It was yeah. just a friend of mine just had some. Yep. And we didn't even know what they were at that point. They weren't like, you know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And like just, you didn't know what it was. No and you idea. Took it anyways. Just took a few because you know people are like oh you take a perk and you smoke a joint and you yeah. feel fine. I thought I was just gonna you know take a perk and smoke a joint and it was my graduation party and I am immediately threw up yeah. when I did it. I know that, that's how a lot of people's stories are. I was like, this doesn't feel like a Percocet, yeah. you know? And then, so what? how was the high? It was a euphoria that I yeah. never experienced. Right. And, uh, um, that was it? Hooked. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Because like, I was an upper person before that, obviously, with the drugs that I did. And, and it's just, it's interesting. With, with the Oxys, I didn't do it the next day. Yeah. But I thought about it until the next time I did it again. Which so was, it was very right strange. There, yeah. yeah, it was like waiting, and then when I tried it again, I was like, "Wow, this!" It just made me feel like so. I was going from college into the real world. Yeah. So I like had all these thoughts and like all these stressors <clears throat> that I was putting on myself, and then when I took that oxy, I didn't feel it. Right. But I didn't know the consequences that were going right. to come. Man, most people don't. Um, but that, that you know what? That's kind of amazing. Like like you said, like you didn't take it the next day, but it was right there in the mind. Yeah. Have you ever met anyone that's done one oxy? And never kind of progressed or? I have not. I've met people that have, you know, taken them and then didn't get as bad as me. Yeah. But they had, they had, they definitely had an addiction. They had to use some type of, whether it was treatment or medication to come off yeah. it. And maybe it didn't get to the level of mine, but I've never, I've never, you know, heard someone even try um, one oxy. I just yeah. haven't. I it's, mean, uh, I'm sure they're out there. Just not, I didn't mean them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there is, it, no, I, I don't know. Uh, I've never heard of it either. Um, so it's literally, if you're watching, if you're listening, um, don't even go near them. Um, they're just, because it's just, it's story after story. The most addictive. When they took it and that was it, um, you know. And so so now, uh, so now you didn't take it the next day, but now you started to take it, right? Were you yeah. doing them every day? So I think the next time I took it, I probably didn't take it maybe the day after that, but then it became like a, you know, two days in a row, yeah. take two days off, three days in a row. Because I think I was treating it like it was Coke. Like yeah. I was like, oh, because I, I never did Coke like seven days in a row. So I took days off here or there. Yeah. But even when you take days off here or there, you start to become physically addicted. Yeah. And then one day before I knew it, I had taken them just days in a row and I, and I just didn't have money and I got sick. 
So what were those two? What were those days in between? What did they feel like physically, mentally? Like it was, must have been on your mind. Yeah. So yeah. the mental obsession was 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 starting to be there as well. But then yeah. once you feel physically sick, like then you mentally tell yourself even more that you need it. Right. You know so what's what the physical sickness? So the, with, with withdrawals, there. I, feel, I I tell people it's like the flu times a hundred. Yeah. So like you know I started like the sweating. The flu times a hundred. Yeah. 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 And I start sweating. I started sweating at first, and I'm like, "What's this?" Yeah. And then like the leg aches. I'm like, "Something's not right here." So yeah. I just thought I was, you know, sick. And then when you start vomiting yeah. and all that, you and yet yeah, at that time, you probably had no idea it was the. At oxygen. that point, I had no, I had no idea. But then at that point, also, I had started putting myself around people that were doing that as well. Yeah. Because that's how drugs are. Yep. You start realizing other people aren't doing OCs like me, so I have to go find people that are. Yep. And then, you know, someone mentioned it just one day they're like oh this is what you're this is why you're sick and, you're dope sick, yeah. and then your head knows yeah. so i can't say i don't know right so now i know i'm sick so then i'm like okay now what do i have to do so and now I, you know right yeah. so there's a shift in your whole thinking right yeah um and now it just yeah and i graduated college like with a bachelor's degree like yeah. four months before this like and i'm like wait what's going on so here you are you're through college got a bachelor's degree where you got a bachelor's Suffolk. degree and what? Uh, business management. Business management. Got your whole life in front of you. Yep. Three, four months later, now you're on a different road. Yeah. And uh, not a good one. Nope. Um, so you now, now you realize you're dope sick and everything begins to change. So what happens? Now you start. So you, at that you point, get yourself was, around the right people. Yeah. So I was working at like a, I think I was working at a, a restaurant um, yeah. over in West Roxbury. And so I'm only working part time because I, I just graduated college. So obviously I don't have the money to pay for this. Yeah. So. You know, you start stealing. I started taking money from my family. Um, you know, you start, you know, it, it was just so crazy how my spiritual loss of values just went immediately. Yeah. Like, I would never go into my mother's pocketbook to take right. money, ever. You know, and then, boom, I'm doing that. And then, it, you know, it went into, you know, um, you know, forging checks and yep. just that whole, you know, criminal, you know, activity that happens and stealing from stores. Um, All the while, you realize this. There must be a struggle going on inside the mind. Like, you know, you're forging checks. You're going into your mother's pocketbook, and you know, like, that's uh, yeah. not me. Yep. I would never do that. Yep. And so... Um, yeah, it's tough. It, and that's the... that's the um, Your sole purpose is to get high yep. any way you can, right? Yep. Takes precedent over every single thing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it called the shots. Yeah. And then, and, I, and then I had to, you know, I had to start going to... I think I I got I, it, this was just so overwhelming for me to even accept. I think it t it only took me about four months to say I need to go to my first detox. So from start to finish, four months. Yeah, my first. Yeah. And so you get into the first detox. So has your family realized that you were struggling? You had an issue. So you, as you as you've been around this for a while, you know people and uh, that have suffered from this, and like denial is like the biggest part of this situation. Yeah. So I don't know if they realized it was drugs or what. I I think I tried to play it off like it was depression. Yeah. And I needed to just check in somewhere. Um, like they probably knew, but like they were so ashamed. Yeah. Fifteen years ago, the stigma. With addiction. I mean, we still have stigma, but 15 years ago, it was, like, real bad. So I don't think anybody was willing to say that I was a drug addict at right. that point. So, right. you know, obviously when I was in the detox, you know, they knew and I told them, you know, what was going on. My family definitely were not there at that point yet to yeah. like, realize, like, what this was. How did they react when you finally told them? Um, 
not happy for sure. Yeah, I think the Irish temper definitely came out, um, and they were, and, and they at that point there was the, the education wasn't around like it is now. Right. So at that point it was drug addicts are scum. They're this, yeah. they're that. Like my parents started saying, like, what did they do? Yeah. What I was did just they, thinking that when you what said did that. they do to make this happen? Um, <laughs> and it, it was bad. And you know, obviously I just thought at this point I'm still on the oxies. Like, yeah. No one knows that like heroin is the next thing to come, and that, <clears throat> that wasn't even being discussed. Right. It was just like okay, our son won't stop stealing money. He won't stop doing this. Like, what can we do? And then they just started putting me, trying to put me in treatment centers here and there and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so just if you're listening or you're watching the video and everything and, and you are a parent of somebody that's struggling, you know, I, I, I think it's important that you realize it's, I mean, obviously we do know there's some really, people have had some horrible childhoods and stuff like that. And, you know, not every parent is fantastic, but not every parent, um, isn't horrible. There are a lot of parents, like Robin was in yeah. uh, talking that yeah. uh, Robin Houston Bean um, um, <clears throat> yeah, was in talking about, um, um, you know, the, they were doing everything right. Yeah. You Sunday know? dinners. I mean, I did everything with <clears throat> my family. Yeah. We went and, to Hampton Beach. It's, yeah, you know, and so if you're a parent and you're struggling uh, with those thoughts, like, what did we do wrong? Um, you didn't probably do anything wrong. It's just this is the power of the addiction, as Pat yeah. was saying. Like, it literally becomes your sole purpose in life. And, um, you know, um, but there's, you know, we're, we're fortunate now that we do have the education now for people. And if you are struggling, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, reach out to Pat. Reach out to me. Reach out to the Hobart Cares. Reach out to somebody. There's so much information out there that can really help people get back on track. So, so you go into a detox. How was that? It was interesting. I, yeah. I went to I went to the Faulkner detox. It was in a hospital. It wasn't. It was actually. It was actually really. Did you good. make a plane? Yeah. 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 Before they've kind of shut down the detox beds, and it's kind of <clears> just like a um, kind of a mental uh, mental health wing now. But yeah. you can still go there for for, for uh, addiction. Um, you had your own rooms and all this, so I kind of like I, I really thought that's why I didn't get sober for a while too. I was very arrogant, and I just thought that like you know, I I was going through a phase. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know that alcohol and drugs, like, they all go hand in hand. Yeah. So, like, I, I walked out of that treatment center with no intentions to, like, not drink. Yep. I was just like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> so you, 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 you come out and you're like, I'm not going to use the oxys, but you could still have a beer yeah. or two. Or, and uh, I told these, I told yeah. the social workers. Yeah. And they just looked at me like, oh, man. <laughs> they didn't. Like, yeah. like every girl that I dated in the past 10 years was looking at me. They just shook their head. Like, <laughs> you know? Oh, man. Yeah. So, and I, and I paid, and I paid the consequences. I always yeah. tell people, I always have to pay the consequences for the suggestions I didn't take. Yeah. So, I mean, every time you drank, it right took back. you right back where you were. Yeah. Like they, like they say in AA, whatever, um, you know, that first drink takes you back right back to when you were using. Yep. Yeah. So, um, how long did that go on for? For the next, you know, for the next five years, um, I eventually got into heroin. But the thing is, what my parents didn't get, like, they didn't know that like, they, they were enabling. By, by letting me keep coming home yeah. and not putting boundaries and not doing this and all that. And, and I went back to that same detox five more times. Yeah. And they told me what was going to happen. They said heroin's next. And yep. I gave them that, like, yeah, I'm better than that. Yeah. And, and everything that they told me was going to happen to me happened to me. Nah. Everything. Heroin, IV. You know, my parents are going to throw you out. And, um, you know, thank God my parents went to an Al-Anon meeting and they went to learn to cope. 
So they, they began to understand the enabling. The first meeting they went to, they came home and they're like, you're not staying here anymore. Wow. And I was like, wow, you, you guys learned like real yeah, quick. Yeah, they do. Too quick for me. <laughs> Too quick for me. But I, you know what? I mean, we. Thank you, God they did. I'd be dead right now if they didn't do that. And you know that. And I think that's part of one of the, that, that has to be uh, one of the hardest struggle mm. um, as a parent because, um, you know, you love your kids to death. Any parent knows that. Um, when they talk about unconditional love, it's just like no matter what your kid does, you love them no matter what. And, you know, it's just a natural instinct to want to help your kids. And But at the same time, you know, they were enabling you, yeah. letting you come home yeah. and giving you money. Yeah, 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 yeah. They gave me money, and on top of that, I had to steal it just because of the habit I had. Yeah. But it took them time. Like, you know, it took them time. Like, what they didn't go to Allen on or learn to cope right away. Right. So it took them time when they went there to, like, and, and that's the hardest thing when I deal with families now or doing interventions or whatever I have yeah. to do to have to talk to, 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 have, to basically have to tell a family, like, if you let him come home, yeah, he's going to die. Most of these overdoses happen in families' homes. Right. Most of the overdoses are not happening on the streets because it's 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 a lot harder to get high on the street than it yeah. is at home. And that I think that's 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 that that struggle there with the parents because you know so if hard. you throw them out, that's right there too. Yeah, they and don't know. So they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, they don't know. And so like just that natural. It's very hard. You just all right. Well, let me let me keep man keep an eye on them and yeah. um, and it, I'm not saying that that's right, that's wrong. I'm not saying any of that, but I'm just saying again. You know, this is why we're here, because we can give you the information. And, you know, as as Pat was saying, that um, his parents picked it right up right after that first Eleanor meeting. They yeah. said, you're not staying if, here. If they didn't raise, you know, Joanne from Learn to Cope always says that. Like, my parents had to raise my bottom. You yeah. know, if I didn't have any consequences, then I had no reason to stop getting high. I mean, I didn't like what I was doing, but I, I, there was, I had no way out. Right. I didn't know a way out. So my parents said, well, if we make it harder on you, then maybe that will help. Right. And it wasn't like the first time, like they'd throw me out, I'd come home. They'd yeah. throw me out, I'd come home. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't just like, oh, I got sober. Yeah. You know? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a progression. And, um, so, um, how'd that feel when they threw you out? Oh, it was, it was bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was still getting high with a lot of different people. So I found ways to, you know, um, go stay at people's random yeah. people's, obviously very shady people. Yeah. And, and then, you know, and then those people didn't even want me around. Um, so I, I, I was fortunate enough that I had to So wait, back. so the people you using didn't want you around They didn't either. want me around either. No, because <laughs> then I'd steal from tough. them. Yeah, I'd steal from them <laughs> so, too, and I was robbing drug dealers. Yeah. It was just, it was bad. So then I'm lucky I had enough uh, that I had a vehicle that I wasn't paying for. My family still was doing that. Yeah. And then they weren't, and I would sleep in, I had to sleep in my car. So, like, I was homeless. I, I, I you know, you know, um... I would like it was so bad. I would like go park on my street, like hoping that my parents would see me sleeping in my yeah. car to like let me come home. Yeah, you know that's that's how bad it got for me. So, um, so what didn't happen? What detox? It so um, where was the the switch? Like the so switch. You, so, I, you know, I had a couple of times that I thought I was going to get it. I, I I was in. I started the longer I the more times I went to treatment, the longer yeah. I stayed in treatment. So that's yeah. the good thing. Um, so each program I went to, I stayed in longer. Um, I think the last time was just I, what what I wasn't getting high on drugs anymore. Yeah, it was just maintaining. I was I was sick of seeing my mother and father cry. It yep. was like you know they let me home again and I screwed up again. And I'm just, I was 26 years old yeah. when I got sober, and I just went to that last treatment center, and I was like, wow. I was like, you know what? I was like, I tried to get, high, like, really high 
like the last week that I got high, and it it did nothing for me. It yeah. just wasn't it wasn't killing the pain. It wasn't doing yeah. anything. Um, and I just begged my father to send me to treatment again. And like I didn't know that was gonna be the last one. I yeah. just knew that like everyone shut me off again. I, I maybe I was growing up a little bit, and I just you know I got some real good counseling and case management, and um, you know how you know, ignorant and arrogant I was to how strong this disease was, I knew I had to go to a very strict, strict program. Yeah. So I went to probably one of the hardest halfway houses in the state in Quincy. What was it? The South Shore House. Okay. And what was, uh, what made them strict? Like what, what, what was the, the difference rules. between, so what did they do? So the structure is like, they don't do passes. Yeah. Um, it's all like meetings. You got to have a sponsor. You got to do this. Like, and we're going to check on that. Yeah. You know, like some, you go to some program you go to, you can come and go as you please and they don't really follow up. Um, this program was all, there was all eyes on you. Like yeah. if you were caught like, like on the street, like looking at a female, like you're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so a, a lot of the Man, things. that, that is that, strict. Yeah. But it's what I needed. A yeah. lot of the things that got me high. <clears throat> were what they stopped. Yeah. You know, females could get you high, you know, hanging around the wrong people can get you high. So they they blocked all that and said, you're going to do all this Yeah. or we're going to throw you out. Right. Like that's the kind of structure that I had. You couldn't have a cell phone. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't even, I didn't have a cell phone anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had already sold that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but like it was so structured and strict and it, and it set you up. They made you save money. Yeah. Get a job. Like they, you know, they made you put money in the bank. So you had money when you left the halfway yep. house. It was just, you know, in the recovery community in Quincy, I don't think it's, you know, God, God works in mysterious ways and he, you know, put me in a, in a, in a great recovery. Like, I just think the meetings and the support in Quincy are just unbelievable. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I just, uh, you know, I didn't really know I was going to stay sober. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I just, I got put around, like, some great people, and then I started saying, I never let recovery last long enough to know, yeah. to know how good it was. Yeah. And then I started seeing, I was like, wow, my parents are smiling, my brother, you know, I just, my brother had, you know, started having kids, and, like, my nieces, like, none of them had seen me use. Yeah. I was like, I don't want these girls to see me use. Yeah. So, a lot of things started becoming important in my life that weren't important before. So, you started, as we talked about in the in past podcast, you began to slowly change all those bad habits that you created. Yeah. And began to uh, make uh, new, better choices. Yep. With the help of that uh, very strict um, yeah. treatment house. Yeah. Are they still around? Oh yeah. Are they? Yeah. Are they still nice and strict? Yeah, I mean they've had to, they've eased up a little bit, but not <laughs> yeah. not by much. Like you can have phones there now and stuff like that, but stuff you can't really. It's hard to like manage your life without certain things now. There. Yeah. With jobs. That's true. Yeah. So, but they're still they're still by the book. Yeah. I you know I don't know I mean I get the I get the phones and everything, but just the access is just so easy to fall back into uh, old ways and everything. Yeah. So, so now. Um, you know, this is all starting to click, right? Yeah. When did it really become? What was it? You, can you think of a turning point where you were yeah. like, "Wow, this is like you've"? I mean, we we Kevin obviously you know Kevin uh, uh, Rosario, yep. and he was on here, and we really talked about self care mm -hmm. and maintaining, making yourself number one first, because without that, you can't really you can't help other people if you're not really helping yourself. But yep. um, when did that start to click for you, and when did? Um, so, yeah. uh, you know, as I was going through the house, I was like, wow, I'm actually staying sober. This is crazy. But it was like the real the, the real first point that I started saying, I think everything's going to be okay, was yeah. after I had already been out of the house. I think I was sober about eight months. Yep. And it went on a spiritual, a men's spiritual yeah. retreat. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I don't do this stuff. You You're know, talking this, about the Casillo? Uh, no, I did that. Too. Oh, okay. That yeah. changed my life. Yeah, yeah. That's, completely. Yeah. That changed everybody's life. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, did, I definitely did that. And yeah. that's, other than getting sober, Casillo is the best thing I could have ever did. Right. But no, I did the Matt Talbot retreat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, down in um, down in Wareham. And it was just a bunch of guys, all sober guys, had a great time. And, um, like, talking spirituality. Yeah. Just being around. Like, I was looking at myself. And 26 was kind of young back then to be yeah. like, sober. And I was with, like, all older guys that had been sober a long time. And I'm looking around going, I might be this heroin addict that's going to make it. Yeah. Like, I just had this feeling. Like, we, we were on the dock. There was water. I did, like, a I did a fifth step down there. Yeah. And it was just... I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is, I might, I might get this. Yeah. You know, I might be able to do this. So yeah. that's the first time I realized that like things might be okay. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. a pretty great experience. Yeah. And so where did you end up going from there? So I was in a, you know, I was in a, a sober house in Quincy for about a year and a half. Um, very involved in the recovery community and 12 step programs. And just my life continued um, to get better. I moved back to my family's house at about two years sober. Um, that was a trip. Just to save money to buy a house. Yeah. And like even to say those words, like I might be able to buy a house. Yeah. Was foreign to me. Yeah. Like I was a homeless drug addict. Like we don't buy, we don't buy houses. Yeah. You, know? you were living in your car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Selling your yeah. selling your cell phone. Yeah. So the fact that my parents like let me come home to save yeah. money to buy a house, and I you know I bought a house in uh, Weymouth, and like that's all because I stayed involved um, in the recovery community. Plus, you, I mean, your parents, they, you know, you, you can, you can see, you can see the difference in people. Yeah. Um, you know, when, whatever program they're using and everything, I, I've always said, like, if you're doing the right things, people can see it. They really can. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that can fake the funk or whatever, but course, I mean, yeah. you know, you, but you can tell when they are usually, but you can tell. And, um, you know, and you don't have that. You don't really have to ask those questions, you know. So it must have been, your, your family must have been thrilled. Yeah, and it took them some time to, to trust me, but they saw it on my face too. And I started introducing them to, like, you know, my sponsor. And, like, they started seeing. I was hanging around with a totally different population yeah. of people. And, like, my recovery friends now are, like, my parents' family. Yeah. Like, my parents have gone to, like, like random meetings just to yeah. hear, like, my friends speak. Like, they're, like... On the recovery bandwagon, yeah. like the biggest advocates for people in recovery and all that. So just real quick, um, let's talk about trust because um, you know when people are struggling with substance use disorder and they do um, uh, absolutely crazy things, like things they would never, ever do in their life to feed the addiction and the guilt and the shame, you know, like you said, you were saying like, uh, I'm just... You know, to see my my parents so upset and everything, the guilt, the shame that comes with that, with um, substance use disorder. Um, I think it's important that people know, like your family trusts you again. Yeah. That's huge, and that's and I think that's family. Like no matter what you've done, and I'm not saying every family's like this, but a lot of families, uh, you know, as we talked about parents and unconditional love, they will trust again. And I think that's important for people to know, especially if you're struggling right now, and you feel like worthless or whatever um it doesn't have to be that way and as you said i mean like they saw it and they that that trust is huge isn't it yeah and um, you know i tell people all the time like i i can't guarantee what's going to happen in people's lives when they get sober right. like there's no promises that you might get this 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 but i tell people when you stop using your life some part of your life is going to immediately get better yeah like immediately that's right. that's it's amazing and, and you know my mother wouldn't even ever think my mother had to hide her pocketbook. You know, she yeah. slept with it. My my dad had to, you know, <laughs> that 
I've been a sober a long time now, but right, they still, right. it, it, after a, a few years, like they, they wouldn't even, they right. wouldn't even think about that. That's huge. You know, that's, that's, huge. that's big, you know, because they don't trust us. Trust me. Yeah, of <laughs> course. Know? No, I mean, we know, we obviously, you do, you know, I mean, yeah. um, and I know um, it happens. I've had family members, same thing. Um, it's amazing. But uh, there's hope and um, positive change that comes with um, sobriety and staying clean and everything. So now, um, so you're involved in recovery. Um, how did uh, Northeast Addiction come about? So I got involved in the field. Um, I worked in finance and business because yep. um, that's what I went to school for when I got sober, um, the gift of you know, being sober and, but I realized I started getting involved at like in like these coalitions, you know, hope yeah. cares. I just started getting involved because I was told get involved in whatever. And, you know, t 10 years ago, these were starting to form. So right. I just started showing up to all these coalitions and just, I just wanted to help and volunteer and do so, you know, and then I got involved in learn to cope Yep. and, um, learn to cope, uh, introduced me to an organization called more. Yeah, that runs all the recovery events. So I worked for the Mass Organization for Addiction Recovery for three years, and I, you know, went around and advocated for recovery. I met great politicians. I, I mm -hmm. fought for funding. That's what we did. That was our job. Um, and then uh, the opportunity came with Northeast Addictions. Right. So, you know, probably about two and a half years ago, um, uh, a few of us locals in the uh, in the Quincy area um, wanted to do, you know something different yeah and wanted to um you know open up uh open up a treatment center mm -hmm. and um we uh we came together and we met and um you know that's when i took the jump from from more to to this position and we worked on it for a while before it opened and um we wanted to open up a treatment center of just like local people that like have been doing this for a long time yep. um because you can never get enough help right in this in this area so we uh we came together and we never thought that, you know, where it started, you know, we opened in July of 2016. Yep. Um, so we're coming up on two years open. We never thought where we would have started to where we are now. Right. You have how many um, how many houses? Um, so there is uh, five now, I believe. Four, how many, four, four. Four. And what yep. are the um, men and women? Yep. Right. Yep. Um, how many men? Uh, three. Three and one woman. Uh, three and one woman, yep. and, um, and they're all in the Quincy area. Yep. Um, and so, uh, was the uh, so um, I took a tour. Uh, was it two weeks ago? Yep. 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 Um, and we went around. We looked at um, a couple of the houses. Really, really nice neighborhoods and everything. Um, the main house. What is that? Um, um, so you saw. So that yeah. So you probably that's where the saw sessions. Probably like the first phases. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Um, uh, uh, Quincy Elm Street, and then one was on Greenleaf. That the females was on Greenleaf, and then the men's that's right. was right behind it. Yeah. Um, and um, so they come in. That's phase one. Yep. And how's that? Just explain how that works. Yeah, so, so like they, somebody they, coming in. Yeah. So they come in. They go. To, <laughs> they go to clinical. Um, they go to clinical groups. Uh, so that this is what we we found a model that you know worked good. That we wanted to blend clinical treatment because mm -hmm. a lot of people need more than just 12-step. They That's need right. therapy. They need social workers. They need a medical director. So we blended that with, you know, an outside sober living that they can live in instead of doing outpatient, you know, instead of doing outpatient from sober, I mean, instead of doing outpatient from where they, like, live with the family, which yeah. is not usually conducive for them, we came up with a model of doing clinical care um, mixed with an outside sober living that we work with. In so. one location. Uh, yeah. 
Well, so the well, you were at the treatment center. Yeah. You see, they're in, they're in different locations, but in the same area. Yeah. So, but I mean, they they reside. Yep, in the house, but then yep. they come to the main building. They come to the main building for and treatment. And that's where day. they get, um, like, the, the social work, yep. um, the mental health. Yep, one-on-one group. So they everyone gets one-on-one therapy from uh, a therapist. They keep the same therapist throughout the whole entire length of stay. Yep. And we can keep people for three to six months at Northeast Addictions. Which is huge. Which is very big. Everybody in recovery knows that. The longer yeah, you so can. they get one-on-one therapy with their counselor, and then they also get group therapy. Mm-hmm. And then they have case management if they're on probation, if they're on parole if they're like you know if they're doing any of that kind of stuff there's all a lot of times there's outside issues right you know so we have case management that takes those stressors off yep so they're they're in that like really structured groups every day um we take them out and then at night they go out with the sober living and at night they go out to meetings every night yep. so they get clinical during the day they get meetings at night and then we try to do some like uh, activities with them yeah. we take them out to the beach once a week or, yep. or whatever so we do different stuff and that's how the first phase is set up but then the best part about it is is after you get out of the first phase we start integrating you back into like the work community so case managers will work on like your resume yeah. work on like getting you a job and so forth so once you once you get that like you'll do like less groups at the clinical treatment center mm-hmm. but you're still involved in the social community yeah so you're slowly working your way back out into yeah. life yep. and um and that model seems to be working really well yeah i mean we've grown i mean we started you know with like 12 clients and yeah we've just we've expanded so much we the, 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 the treatment center that you were at a couple of weeks ago um that's been around for a little less than a year we were at this like little outpatient clinic in quincy uh quincy point yeah for our first year and we just have grown so uh well and i chalked that up to all the staff that i have yeah they've just um they've just they do such great work with these uh with these clients it and, was uh, great to go there take the tour sit down have some lunch and actually meet everybody that yeah. um that worked there ed and i think keith and katie and yep. um you met all the therapists you yeah met danny Danny as well, one of my other yep. director of outreaches. So, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who took us around? I, somebody. T- um, it was probably Danny. Yeah, I think it was Danny. Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, his, yeah, his uncle is actually um, <clears throat> Sheriff Bloody. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw a couple of sheriff. Sheriff Tompkins was there. Yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. him. There's I wanted to talk to him, but he had kind of. <laughs> I, I lost when I came back from the tour. I think he he was already gone. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but yeah, we toured the men's house and then the women's house. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, the woman's house um, pregnancies can you accommodate that? No. Can you no not yet. Certain licenses, <clears throat> yeah, with the state, um, you know. But there's we're 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 starting to become more open to a lot of different things at some point. You know? So maybe some point you might be able to accommodate <laughs> yeah, and that. And maybe we'll even try adolescence. I mean the 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 it, the options are endless when you have like. You know, a treatment center that you know runs things the right way and yeah. great staff and so forth. So we're open to to doing a lot of different things. Um, but you know, when we opened, we said we were just gonna we were gonna be. We always said we wanted to be male and female because yeah. female always um, gets. I feel they get you know the short end of the stick. Yeah. There's not enough female beds. Um, but when we opened, we didn't have the infrastructure for it yet. So yeah. when we started, we opened with men. And then we slowly integrated women into the whole entire plan. Yeah. And now I believe our women's program is better if not the same um, as our men's program is that because um i i've always found that uh, women women's i don't know women do more like they just um they're willing to do the work they listen more i don't know um well the longer they say if if a if 
if women stay in treatment and complete, yeah. they stay sober longer than guys. It's just sometimes women don't stay in treatment because they leave to take like, like motherly duties. Yep. You know, they have they have other responsibilities that we don't even have a clue about. You know. Well, you know, we had um, you know Judy McDonough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. so Judy, we had Judy on. She came in. She talked about the Edwina Martin house. We had yeah. her on last year. Um, same thing. They added That's a couple of houses. House. Yeah, and, and Judy's awesome. But yeah. it, what was great about that was she came in and she talked about all the needs of the women. Yeah. And it's just so much more than it is for guys, you know. Um, and so, um, and, and that's why I think it's fantastic, like, when I heard that you guys had a woman's program. I, because it's oh, just, yeah. like you said, we need it. We need these uh, programs for the women. And so, um, yeah, so everything is going well. Yeah, and we have, like, um, we follow our clients, too, that, like, yep. we, we, when you see all the research out there, we have an alumni director yep. that follows all our graduates, um, follows all our graduates, like, and continues after they're not with us to continue to, like, make sure they're okay and, like, we want them to come back to the treatment center. Yeah. We want them to be a part of the community. We have our, like, alumni graduates come in and speak to the current patients yep. and i think that part of the community really like helps people stay sober absolutely because you can look at somebody who's been in your shoes and here they are they're doing well yeah yeah you are buying i get ready to buy a house yeah. right now yeah. did you buy a house uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah. i bought yeah. that yeah i've had the i've lived there for 10 years now oh okay all right yeah um and i bought it probably too soon i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know what i was doing actually no 10 years you were probably smart because uh, uh, i guess the house uh, crashed it's... then i was very lucky oh yeah it's way so... different now it's different now, um, and you are engaged, or I, yeah, I'm getting married in like five minutes, <laughs> forty forty days maybe. Oh, okay, August fourth. Now, where'd you meet um, your future wife? Yeah, so I met her. She is married. Um, so she is. She's not married yet. Yeah. <laughs> her um, her best friend is married to my first cousin. Okay. So. I knew her. Yeah. I saw her at family parties, uh, you know, so I definitely knew of her. Um, but she uh, she got introduced to me from my, my actually, my the funny story is my mother, because, you know, she's not in recovery. Yeah. And I went down that road before. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you know, I want to meet a normal person, <laughs> you know, because uh, I just want to meet somebody not as sick as I am. Yeah. You know, so um, my mother pulled my cousin aside and said, you need, to, you know, how Irish women, yeah. you need to set my kid up with a nice girl. That's only because she wants uh, grandchildren. Yes, That's it is. It. it is true. I it has nothing true. to do with you, Pat. I know. I want grandchildren. I know. And then my cousin <laughs> so, was like, actually, I got the perfect one. Yeah. We went out one time and we just knew. That was it. Yeah. Okay. So let's just clarify for everybody listening. It was not your prom date. It was not. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. We it just want to make it sure. Was not. It was not. Yeah, so and that's awesome. We got engaged um, in Aruba. And, uh, congratulations. Thank you. We're getting married in like 40 days. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, how long was the courting session for? <laughs> um, it, it was quicker than, than most. But yeah. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm older than. Yeah. I, I want to admit, yeah. you know, so I think we just knew we were at this you point know. in my life. You that's know? awesome. That's fantastic. And I, I think that's it's great from where you've living in your car, and here you are, yeah, yeah. own a home, getting married, good things are happening. And they're all happening because of um, your sobriety and staying clean and being involved and um, um, self-care. Yeah. What do you do for self-care for yourself? I go on vacations. Yeah, I go on a lot of them. <laughs> do you do um, Do you do meetings? Do you do? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm definitely still involved. Like I'm 12 years sober, and I know that I'm one bad decision away. So yep. I'm still very involved with meetings and helping guys and sponsoring guys. And um, I, like I said, I did Curcio. Um, I did Matt Talbot retreats. Yeah. 
I did a lot of those in my first five years sober. I'm definitely due to go um, on another one. But um, you know, the, the the rat race with like having a new a new treatment center over yeah. the past two years is. It's been very, very busy. Yeah. Uh, but I've had to take a step back. Sometimes it's my fiance yeah. that tells me to take a step yeah. back, and, and it, you know I'll go away on a weekend. But like if it wasn't for staying involved in meetings and so forth, and like she gets it too. I'm lucky to have a, yeah. a, a, a fiance that is not sober but knows what I need to stay sober. Right. You know she'll be like, listen, you need to go to your home group tonight. Yeah. You know. See, so, that's and that's you, but that's you. Yeah. That's you. And all my sober friends are friends with her. Like yeah. they love her. That's awesome. And, you know, and I think that's important, like, because you are busy. You know, you're all over the place. So with that, I do like to appreciate the fact that you may, took time out of your day to come yeah, here and talk course. to us and everything. But but just so people know, like, um, it's very, very easy to forget about yourself when you're involved. And, and it's, it's again, I can't stress this enough. It's like you have to take care of yourself first because if you're no good to anybody. So that's awesome that your fiancé recognizes that. And, yeah. And you listen to her. Yeah, the longer I stay sober, I know <coughs> everything I have in my life is because of recovery. So if I say, oh, I don't need to go to meetings anymore, I don't need yeah. to do this. So many of my friends have died because of that. Right. Just because they got to a certain point, like four, three, three, four, five years clean, and they just say, oh, well, do I really need to show up anymore? And I say, why am I going to break something that's not broken? That's right. It's working. Or why am I going to fix something that's not broken? Yeah. You know, it's like it's working. <coughs> so if you start thinking that way... Take a step back and kind of reevaluate, and don't don't let that thought process creep in, because that's what ends up happening. And um, um, we're we're coming right up on that time. Um, so, Pat, uh, higher power. I already know the answer to that of one. Of course, it's of course. huge, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I learned more from Curcio, but I always, you know, if if I didn't change my way of thinking and and got a relationship with my higher power through meetings and in recovery. Um, I don't know if I'd be here, but like, you know, getting a relationship with the higher power changes your whole entire like outlook on life. Everything. On everything. Everything. Yeah. You know, and 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 uh, Liz Loud was here, and uh, she was she actually said, you know, that like the 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 twelve steps is like not just in recovery; it's a great uh, yeah. guideline to life. Yeah. Well, if you look in the in the literature that we use, it says right in there. That, yeah. Like, these twelve steps would work very well with yeah. a lot of other issues. Right. You know, a lot of other issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you life. know, and and. Um, <clears throat> before we wrap this up, um, again, like just because you're clean and you're sober doesn't mean that life gets better it doesn't life is still life and we still experience the hardships that come with life and relationships whether it be financial uh, like relationships are tough just because you know people you know characters personalities and all so uh, again like it just doesn't like life doesn't get easier but I, i would say like even with the with the the whole higher power thing um life doesn't get easier but it, it's 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 manageable there's like you know for me it's just something like i can like i don't have to carry a lot of stuff what I'm i saying. just it turn it over handle situations like yeah. whatever happens to me bad is still going to happen to me right and i don't always like the outcome but how i handle it because of you know having yeah. a faith in god yeah is different than 10 years ago i would have just flipped out and lost everything yeah. and just you know but you know and, and i'm not perfect trust me i right. have my bad days but we just, all do but um, I react things to different things yeah. differently to those situations because yep. of my belief. Awesome. You know? Well, this is great stuff. So if you're listening, and again, you know, um, if you're if you're on that journey to recovery, stay there. If you really relapse, you know, don't get up. Do it again. 
continue to do it. Um, you know, how many re detox were you, did you go through? Probably 15. 15, yeah. Same with uh, Liz. My girl Liz. Liz. Yeah, she's <laughs> in about 15. Yeah. You know, and then, it, and then it clicked. And I suspect that every time you went, even though you didn't believe that you were getting something, you were definitely getting something. Yeah, there was and always so, a little seed planted every yeah. time I went. So continue onward. Um, we're talking to Pat Cronin. He is the um, director out, out outreach. I want to make sure I say it right. Yeah, well, I out. have like five titles, and I don't five know what titles. any of them mean. North, <laughs> Northeast Addiction Treatments in Quincy. Um, uh, when we post this podcast, because we're pre-recording this, just in case anybody is uh, is uh, listening watching and everything um uh, uh, we'll have his link there and and any information that you have pat that you want us to put in the description we'll put in okay. um you know we uh i am also part of the hobart cares coalition um we meet the first tuesday of every month at the hobart town hall from seven to nine it's a great place to come in if you know somebody or whatever to um get some resources connect in with people reach out Say hello. Um, we also have a Facebook page. Where, uh, I think about every day we're updating the um, the bed list. Um, so uh, message us. I have my Rock Bottom to Recovery page. Again, uh, Facebook page. You can go in. You can actually watch the videos, uh, past episodes. I'm still trying to figure that one out. I was um, trying to save the videos, but oh. I don't know. I'm, I'm working on yeah, it. Yeah. But Thanks we time. are on iTunes and Podbeans. We got some unbelievable episodes, so go back, check them out, like us, share us, and uh, that's it. Thank you guys very much for listening, for watching, and um, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>